This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Khalife. I mean, I was looking at your story, and, and it seems like even from an early age, I think it was like when you were 20, um, you started your own marketing agency. One of your clients was Coke. Like, that's a pretty big deal for someone in their early 20s. So I'm curious, like, why, why social media? Why marketing? Why was that your start in entrepreneurship? Oh, that's such a good question. I actually ask this question. I have a, I have my own podcast. It's called the people of marketing. And I actually ask this question. That's my first question. I ask everyone, you know, what got you you into marketing in the first place? (laughs) And I am not prepared with an answer. (laughs) It's always easier Um, to ask. (laughs) Yes, I know. I know. Um, What got me into marketing? I think uh, since a very, very young age, since I was a kid, I was passionate with a bunch of things that, you know, if you look, you know, if you connect the dots looking backwards, um, it's, you know, a no brainer that I, you know, got into marketing. Uh, I was, um, I was very passionate about writing, uh, when I was very young and, uh, you know, how everyone, you know, people ask kids, you know, what do you want to be, you know, when you grow up? And I was saying a writer and I was referencing like this big writer that we had, you know, in Romania. Uh, I want to be like him, right? What was his name? Uh, uh, it's like a, a poet. It, his name is Mihai Minescu. Mihai Minescu. So All right. Yes, it's very funny because like he's huge and it was so funny. You know, I want to be like him. Um, I want to write poetry. And uh, that's, you know, a big thing that I, I think, you know, writing, creativity, it's very correlated with, with marketing. And then when I um, grew up a little bit, I got into design. Uh, we moved from, you know, one part of my home country to a different one. Um, and, you know, I didn't, you know, being a huge, huge introvert, I didn't make any friends. I had struggles, you know, making, making new friends in that place. So I, I was, you know, spending my sixth and uh, seventh grade um you know learning photoshop and like playing around you know in photoshop and designing all kinds of you know things that probably would make me very embarrassing (laughs) very embarrassed right now um but you know this other side of uh of of marketing design is also something that i very much love and then when i grew up even more i got into math quite a lot i went to math competitions so, you know, the numbers side of marketing. So, you know, you got design, you got writing and you got numbers. What do you get? Yeah, marketing. <laughs> so I think that's, you know, but I, I, I was never dreaming, you know, of becoming an entrepreneur uh, in the industry. You know, my big dream was to work in an ad agency. So I'm originally from Republic of Moldova and I moved to Romania a few years ago. So my big dream when I was young, you know, when I was a teenager was to be working in an ad agency in uh, Bucharest, which is the you know, capital of Romania. Right. Uh, so that was, you know, the huge aspiration that I had. Um, there was no uh, entrepreneurship kind of like ecosystem in, uh, in Eastern Europe back then. Uh, kids were not dreaming of, you know, about becoming the next Mark Zuckerberg. That, that wasn't, wasn't a thing. Um, so, you know, you, you were becoming who you were surrounded by, you know, the jobs that you were seeing the most and, um, you know, business, uh, woman, especially was not something that I, I had as a, as a model. Uh, so it, it really came as an accident. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think what, one of the cool <laughs> things that you mentioned was, you know, I, I, so for me, I grew up in the middle East, right? I mean, it's similar in different contexts, similar in the sense of mm-hmm. like, there wasn't this startup ecosystem. I mean, I was introduced to entrepreneurship a bit later in life, you know, and to your point, it really is about your environment. So I'm curious for you, how did you break, break outside of that? Let's say, even when you, when you had that vision of like, I want to go into the ad side, 
what was it like for you to break outside of that and then finally see this like light at the end of the tunnel of, of entrepreneurship? That's an interesting one. I think I just went with the flow, to be honest. I can't remember like this pivotal moment where I, you know, it, it all became Wait. clear to me. Uh, You know, it just incrementally, it, you know, entrepreneurship sucked me in and I, I, you know, I didn't even realize I I was doing it. I remember my first venture was um, crafting handmade jewelry and baking it, you know, at home because you need to bake them. Uh, And um, I I remember I was doing that with my mom and like selling them at all kinds of, you know, uh, events. And I was never labeling that as entrepreneurship. It was just something that I was doing and making money out of it. Um, but I, you know, I never realized that that's, you know, a business and that's, you know, what it is. It's called entrepreneurship until very long, you know, even with my first, you know, serious business, my agency, which, you know, it took me a while to uh, reconcile the fact that I'm entrepreneur. Um, maybe there was something about the fear of being an entrepreneur. You know, the, it's scary a bit when you're not familiar, when you don't know other entrepreneurs, when you don't have it in your family. It's a bit scary to label yourself as an entrepreneur because that's right. uncommon. So maybe that was something, you know, about my, my fear of acknowledging that I was actually one. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is also weird, right? Because like back home, I'm sure you know a ton of people who start their own business, right? Like they might not be quote unquote, what we, or what they, what they would think of as entrepreneurs, but they're business owners. But when you bring that to the U S everybody's like, Oh, well that's an entrepreneur, you know, like, (laughs) so it's, it's kind of weird back home. You don't have that DNA to call it what it's glamorized to be in the Western world. You know, we call it, we call it surviving. (laughs) Doing what you fucking have to do (laughs) to to make a living. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, it seems like also the creative element, and I like how you put it in the beginning with marketing being the creative side, the math side, which I think the math side people don't usually think about as often. Um, wow. For you, which one did you focus on most or which one appealed to you most from creative and, and the writing and the math? I think the creative side of things, uh, I got more into design uh, in time. And even now, um, what I miss the most in, in, in my job as a CEO, I don't get you know the chance to execute that much. Mm. Um, and I think the design part is what I miss the most. And I see that you know those are the areas where I get involved the most with feedback. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I think that's the one that I focus most, uh, most of the time. Um, I didn't, you know, and I would say second would be the copywriting, um, mm. though I do, I do love, you know, the, the, the numbers as well, but, uh, the design part. And I think, you know, I can see that in the product that we've built as well with, with my co-founders, um, you know, they also have a graphic design, uh, background. So in the, the way we tried to design the product as, you know, beautiful software first, mm. um, uh, I think, you know, that definitely says something about um, my priorities in, uh, in, in, my, in my profession. And for, for people listening who might not be as close, I would say, to the marketing side, how do you define, like when you say design, when you say creativity, what does that actually look like for someone who might not be aware of what we're talking about internally? Uh, so it really depends if we're talking about marketing it can be either the brand side you know how your brand looks how your marketing design looks your marketing collateral and your your assets your entire image and your entire presence uh, online if we're talking about digital marketing your 
your ads? What did they say? You know, how, you know, delightful they are visually, how pleasant they are. Uh, that's the design part, but also the user experience part, you know, um, you know, is, is design uh, clear? Uh, is the product clear? Is the experience on the website clear? And then there's also the part of how do you design for conversions? Because, uh, you know, we've got to make a business, so we've got to optimize those conversions. So it's not, you know, just pretty design and design that is clear, but it also needs to very much convert. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about websites and, and you know, blog articles, how they look and how readable they are, you know, from, you know, fonts and all of that. Um, so, you know, many things in the marketing, this, everything needs to be designed in the marketing, um, marketing world. Mm. You know, it's funny, like when I'm hearing you say that, I feel like there's a bit of pressure because I'm assuming that you have this like vision that the client wants, right? Like, let's say X, Y, Z, I'm not going to name a client, but let's say, you know, they have a vision and they come to you and say, then you're like, this is what I really want uh, to come to fruition. But you as a marketer and, and, you know, having all of this experience, you also know practically what works, what doesn't, you also have this vision. So how do you reconcile the two? Um, it's all about your relationship from the get go and the way you position yourself as the expert and ideally you would want to work with uh, clients that trust you um, and you you know the relationship is set from the get-go as you're the expert the client needs to trust you obviously the client has much more experience and with their own business they've built it from the from the start or they have more insights uh, about the business um, so they have their part but when it comes to things that are you know really what they hired you for um, then you need to shape the relationship from the beginning in a way that they they, they trust you those decisions. Uh, right. That's you know obviously ideal uh, case scenario, but it's Doesn't usually hold. not like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> usually you gotta make compromises and you gotta you know listen to what the client says. Even you know even though if they're not the expert in that particular field, um, there might be you know something that they know about you know their business that you know influence uh, that particular decision. Um, but luckily. That's one of the reasons why I switched, you know, from the uh, agency world to building a product, um, you know, a software. Um, a, you have more flexibility and, and freedom in setting the agenda and the roadmap for your product, how it's going to look like. You obviously need to listen to your clients um, a lot, uh, potentially even more than you do in an agency um, business. Uh, and you definitely need to listen to more clients. You know, if you're a software, it's probably used by thousands of users. Uh, so you gotta, you know, be very careful with the feedback that you're receiving. And, um, but uh, you do have that, you know, power of like designing a product and following a specific vision that you have for that particular product. Mm. Yeah, that's very interesting. And, and obviously the product that you're referring to uh, is planable, right? I mean, yes. curious, on that front, and we're going to dig a bit deeper on, on, on that platform itself. But when you talk about like the pain points, right, they were, that, you know, that led to, to building this kind of software to make it easier for marketers, was that pain point from you or was that pain point from, let's say, the clients you were talking to? Where did that come from? Um, I think it came from me. I realized very early on in my agency business that the way we were working wasn't efficient. I hated working in Excel files and I, I felt like I felt like PowerPoints were just killing my creativity and my mood. Um, I didn't feel like it was 
an efficient process. And I definitely didn't feel like the gorgeous, you know, visual moving content that we were building deserved to be, you know, blocked in this cell or in this PowerPoint presentation. I felt like it deserved a more collaborative environment where it could really shine visually. Um, and I realized that uh, that problem. And I, I remember that I, I asked one of my colleagues to actually go look for a tool yeah, where we could, you know, have a very collaborative, iterative process on working on content, something very, something very collaborative and something very like real time and, and visual. And uh, she came up with, you know, the usual suspects, you know, Buffer and, and Hootsuite and a bunch of other tools that had to do a great deal at, um, helping you with your analytics and with scheduling and all of that. But when it came to like the collaboration and how you plan your content and how you coordinate with your team, it didn't really, you know, help us back then. Um, and uh, I got together with my uh, co-founders and uh, Nick, uh, our um, chief technology officer, he was working in, um, um, in an agency back then. So he saw that, you know, that same problem and, you know, I think that's when we realized that we might be onto something. <laughs> and yeah, then, we, you know, we, yeah, yeah. And then we said, okay, maybe that's, you know, a very specific issue for this side of the world or for agencies only. And obviously, you know, we validated it with a bunch of other, you know, people from, you know, marketers from New York and from Australia, from, you know, everywhere uh, in the world, uh, both on the agency side and the brand side. And we realized that, hey, that's, you know, a problem that actually many marketers out there struggle with. Um, and we decided, yeah, to solve it. Very cool. I mean, it, you know, one of the questions, but I think you answered a bit, a bit more uh, seamlessly, which was like, how do you convince someone to come in, right? Like to leave their full-time security to say like, let's, let's jump off this cliff together, you know, instead of me doing it by myself, it, it's kind of tough, right? Like, did you find it hard to do that? Um, no, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> that wasn't tough. I think that wasn't the tough thing. The I think we part. were so yeah, that wasn't, you know, the hard part. We were so young mm. as we didn't have, you know, that much to lose, to be honest. Um, you know, the agency that, were, that I was building, you know, I could close it down and at any point in time, I could start it again. Uh, you know, I would lose the clients, but, you know, I can get other clients afterwards if it doesn't work out. Um, you know, and Nick, he could get a job, you know, he's an amazing developer, he could, you know, software engineer, he could get the job at any point in time. Vlad, he was uh, my first co-founder, he was so, so young, he was, I think, 19 when we started. So wow. he was still in, you know, in, in university, so he had, you know, that was, that was probably the hard part convincing Vlad to drop out um, and more so convincing his parents that that's okay. That, that was, you know, a hard part. Um, but, you know, yeah, but we, we, you know, we, we went through that. And I think the fact that we, we won a competition actually like this hackathon hmm. um, and we were invited, uh, invited at, um, at an accelerator um, for about three or four months. And this, leap of faith that they had you know this trust that they put in us i think that's you know what made a big difference in convincing us that we are onto something uh the fact that you know this very important people that we were looking up to um saw something in us uh you know gave us a lot of confidence uh to leave everything behind to move from our home country to you know leave our jobs and start something from scratch mm. 
And, and I, like you took some pretty decisive steps, right? Like you went to the Draper University. So curious, like I want to ask that as a subsect of, of that, just to kind of how your experience was. I thought that was really cool. Uh, but I think you'd have to be a founder, right, to go through it. You won, I think you were top five or you won a pitch. Um, and then you also got invited yeah. to Khan. But you just, you just took these like decisive steps to continue progressing forward. Were you, were you very meticulous in planning these or did they come off like a whim kind of as you, as you went along? I, I, I think the first one, most probably, uh, I, I think I'm very thoughtful in the way I do things and very, very disciplined. I realized that, you know, just a year ago, uh, you know, very early, uh, you know, recently I realized that um, discipline is what helped me uh, build Planable the way it is right now. I love lists. I love, you know, getting extremely organized. And I think I had particular goals, uh, like getting into a very prestigious accelerator. I knew that that's extremely important. And I applied probably to a dozen accelerators out there. I applied to 500 startups, to YC. Every time they had a call open, I was applying. And we got into Techstars the fourth time when we applied. And I made it like a mission. It was seriously, you know, a, a mission that I made out of getting into that accelerator. Same with Draper University, I knew that, you know, um, there's, you know, certain pedigrees that I don't have as, as an entrepreneur coming from Eastern Europe. I, you know, I didn't go to Harvard and I, you know, I'm not an ex-Googler. So I had to have some kind of, you know, stamps of approval yeah. uh, and Draper University was one of them. So I was very uh, strategical about the things that I want to achieve to help us with our reputation and with our credibility. Um, and, um, you know, they came as we went in, as we progressed in our business, but when I discovered them, I made it a real business to achieve them. What DNA, like when you're talking about, you know, you didn't have the same accreditation as like a Harvard and ex Googler, you you certainly came from a different environment, right? If you follow Gary Vee, like he talks a, a little bit about like that immigrant mentality. I'm curious. When you, when you, uh, you know, when you, let's say, joined the Draper University, I don't know if you, you moved to the U.S. or anything like that, but just curious, what sort of traits did you come with that you felt kind of set you a little bit differently from, from, from the rest of the pack that, let's say, grew up in, in North America? Um, that's interesting. I, I never thought about that. I, I feel like I compared myself more with them. Like I look at, you know, the things that they, <laughs> the skills yeah. and the habits and the, you know, traits that they have, but I never asked myself what, what did I, you know, what set me apart from them. I think. In a good way, by the way, I don't mean like to discriminate, like it's not, yeah. it's not that you're better or they're better. I'm just saying, did, did you, in your, in your part of growing up, like were there pieces of that that were different, let's say that helped you get to where you are, essentially. I think what I liked in them, and when I compared myself to, uh, you know, American-born entrepreneurs, I, I, you know, the things that I respected in them was um, their ability to think big and to take risks. Um, I think those two things is something that I, I personally didn't have in the way I was, you know, grown up or yeah, raised. You know, obviously taking risk is not something you, uh, you know, we're comfortable in, uh, in, in the way we're uh, raised in Eastern Europe. Um, and also like thinking big also isn't something, you know, that is taught that much uh, in this part of the world. But on the other side, I think the 
um, the discipline is one thing that I think, you know, I, I had personally uh, probably a bit better. And this creative, I wouldn't say like hustle necessarily, but ingeniosity and like creativity in approaching things and uh, building things with very little resources. Yeah, um, like resourceful essentially is what. Yeah, resourceful. Yeah. Yes, that, yeah. You, you exactly. made the best That's, of what you had, right? That's exactly. And perseverance as well. Um, I feel like something that I, I had was, um, you know, not, you know, getting bummed out when things didn't, you know, go as I expected them, but, you know, continuing and keep going and, and, um, resilience. Um, mm. I think those, those things, um, and it makes total sense considering, um, you know, the way I, I was raised. You keep using the word discipline, and I'm, I'm curious personally, I would say, but probably on behalf of people listening, what is your regimen for discipline? Like, is it blocking your account? I've talked to entrepreneurs who literally print out their calendars every morning, you know, so I'm just curious, like, do you have a habit in place or is it just something that, you know, Xenia is like hardwired for essentially? Uh, I, I think I'm a bit hardwired for that, uh, but at the same time, I do have a, an extremely organized calendar with blocks for whatever, you know, things. I, I realize that if I don't block my lunch, I'm not going to probably have it. <laughs> so so I, I, I try to block everything. I, uh, you know, in the, you know, very early on in the lockdown, I had to block time mm. to stop in my calendar because I, That's big. You know, yeah, it's, you know, it's getting very fluid uh, work and personal life and, and the lockdown. So I had to block, you know, time to stop uh, literally. And, I think it's just something that I had from, um, you know, a very uh, early age, uh, the discipline and, and the way I work and the, the attention to detail. I think mm. the attention to detail is what empowers me to be very disciplined. Interesting. Because I can't let go because, you know, you see them, so you can't let go. <laughs> yeah. So you got to, you know, be very thorough. Right. And it's, it's kind of ironic, right? Because creativity is also this, this like space in your mind where it has to be free right? Yes. Like it can be sandboxed. So how do you, I'm curious, like, how do you find also inspiration to be creative? Uh, especially in the time when it's locked down and people around you might be going through different difficulties, let's say. I, I know from talking to the, the former head of like uh, creativity at Disney, you know, he, yeah. he, he made this like funny joke that every time he'd go to a conference, he'd ask people, you know, were you ever creative at work? And nobody would raise their hand, you know, and he'd say like, are you creative when you take a shower, when you walk the dog? And everybody like would say, yes, that's, those are the weird times, oddly enough, when you step away from something that, you know, there's, there's this like light bulb that, that comes up. So where do you find yeah. your inspiration for creativity? Sadly, it's, it's very hard to find it right now. And um, not just because of the pandemic and the lockdown, but also just the type of job that I have doesn't really include that much creativity. As a CEO, uh, it's others have the, you know, the luck of being more creative than, than you do. Because uh, you're most of the times project managing, um, you know, empowering your team to be creative, um, and your work is not as glamorous and creative as you know as, as it is when you're a CEO in the very early stages. Uh, when you know when you're just creating your company, probably in the first year and the you know in the first two years, mm. it's a lot of creative chaos. Uh, whilst you know when you start growing 
I feel that that's when you need to kind of rewire your brain so that you're focused more on, on like discipline and like executing like crazy. And it's less about you as a founder and CEO being uh, creative, uh, more about leadership and empowering others to do that better than, than you could. So I think it's, it comes in waves. Like I think I was more creative and in the first part of uh, when we just started Planable and now it's more about um, the, the leadership discipline part. Yeah, and the, and the leadership part. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you can find ways of being creative even in that role, right? Like you're not a creative per se, like as a role itself, right? Where all you do is just focus on that yeah. one thing. Whereas now you're thinking about how can I get more creative about delegating, about you know being a better yeah. CEO, right? About being better yeah, with my so clients. I found that the only only way I can achieve that is again <laughs> if I block time in my calendar, time for. Uh, for thinking and not for specific things like random stuff time for reading um, to get inspired and to find new ideas uh, you know just blocked time in the calendar for whatever you know whatever comes um, I think that's the only way I can achieve it because otherwise it's not gonna it's not gonna come you know you need to make time for it yeah it's so true especially what you said around like you know when it all kind of flows with itself uh, like during COVID, that was the hardest thing I, I had to honestly battle with, you know, like I live in a one bed condo, condo in, in downtown Chicago and, you know, I'm, I'm working, let's say, and it's like 6, 7 p.m. I'll take a break, maybe an hour, you know, I'll maybe read, watch Netflix or whatever, go gym. And then I come back and I'm like, hmm, probably just sit down and do some more work. You know, it, it's something I enjoy doing, but it's like, then it's like 10, 11 p.m. And you're like, dude, this is not, this is not healthy, you know? No, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I've, I've, I've been through that myself. Hard. Um, really hard yeah yeah especially i mean obviously as a ceo of a startup you're always on like you can't i don't feel like how do you actually step away from it how do you say you know what i'm gonna take a break from this and it's okay to do that uh, most of the times i do not um and i don't say that um <laughs> in an arrogant way at all <laughs> um kind of but yeah but it's um I think what's more challenging for me is the fact that I don't really have hobbies. Um, so it's particularly hard even on weekends. Um, I don't, and I need to like make time to find some hobbies because I know that it's not healthy to spend, you know, time on, on weekends as well. Uh, so I, I try to make, you know, find something that I like to do. Um, but the thing I enjoy most is, is, planable and the work I do so it's kind of like very hard to find something else that I, I, I enjoy more but I do try try to you know block you know my 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 weekend with potentially traveling or, or hiking or, or reading and stuff like that mm. but it's it's important to find something that you're very very passionate about um find some hobbies because otherwise it's extremely you don't have anything else to go to that sounds very sad, but it is, <laughs> it's kind of true. You know, if you don't have hobbies or um, pleasant ways of, you know, spending your time, you're always going to go back. You're always going to have like this pool to go back to work. Um, yeah. yeah, especially if you love it. But I feel like, you know, for instance, yeah. talk about hiking, right? Like when I go for a run, literally the part of the reason I do it is I always think of ideas. And sometimes mm. like mid run, I'll literally stop and like, you know, put something in my notes on my phone. <laughs> Because like it's a thought for an article or a podcast idea or something for work that I've been really stuck on. And as soon as I start running, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, 
and I, it's like a battle of everything do I running? yeah i just need like a whiteboard or something in the middle of like the forest i don't know you know it's a bit odd when that happens because you look like a psychotic person but um, <laughs> yeah i don't know but it's it's interesting like it's a tough but i mean it's good on one hand because you're you're so passionate about this one thing it's kind of like that elon musk syndrome you know all he thinks about is is what he does but sometimes you can tell the guy's exhausted like it's not a healthy yeah you know in, in interviews and stuff yes yes i know it doesn't it, it's not it's a very slippery slope so you gotta you know you gotta find something that you like and try to um refresh gotcha one i guess last question on the planable side is um just in terms of the cap raising like have you obviously being in this ecosystem you're inundated with TechCrunch articles of you know this startup raised 50 million this startup raised x you know so you're always around this um curious about the history of like capital raising how you've approached it how you're going to approach it all that all that stuff yeah so we did we went through Techstars. so we got you know our first um investment uh from them and then we we raised a series seed uh about a year ago okay and uh we raised it from mostly european investors and um, we, you know, I approached it through the connections that I already built. And I think the network that I, I, I built at Techstars and after Techstars was extremely important. And it's, you know, what helped me the most. Mm-hmm. Our lead investor in our seed round um, was a mentor that I met at Techstars. Okay. And keeping in touch with those, all those people is what really helped. We learned something at Techstars. Um, about sending, you know, company updates. And I kept doing that even after Techstars. You know, we were supposed to send one one, uh, company update to all our mentors at Techstars every single week. And I did that, but I also kept doing that even after Techstars. And I remember I read a quote, I think from Paul Graham somewhere, that he said, the, you know, the easiest way of knowing when a startup dies is when you stop receiving updates from them. (laughs) They just, you know, crawl somewhere and die, you know, it's never with a big splash. Um, And I, you know, I I try to do that. You know, every quarter I send company updates to, we have a couple hundreds of of people on our uh, company updates list, you know, mentors, other uh, founders, fellow founders that I'm friendly with that, that, you know, have, have helped us. Mm-hmm. VCs, uh, advisors, and I send our, you know, the bad, the good, uh, but also asks, you know, every, every quarter, there's a few asks in that, in that newsletter. Oh, that's and a good my idea. Fundraise- yeah. And during my fundraising, uh, time, you know, I had a lot of asks about intros and people really, really helped, uh, because, you know, they saw the progress across years and I like to think that they felt a little bit involved <laughs> and that's why they helped. Yeah, uh, with interest. So I think that's, you know, that's one thing that that really, really helped with um, raising the seed round. Did you ever feel and, and I ask this because obviously part of my audience are aspiring female founders. So I always like to ask this question. And it's also I'm curious about your take being in you know Eastern Europe, how that's been like, like, I mean, when do you, do you usually get approached by, let's say, other uh, counterparts and say, listen, like, I, I want to get involved in a startup, what advice would you have? Um, do, do you get that sense of, of I guess, how am I going to say this? Like planning from the Eastern European side versus North? Because in North America, it's obviously a very big topic and we're, we're still progressing. There's a long way to go, but it's something very topical, very top of mind as it should be. So curious, like how, do you, how have you approached it previously? With other founders that are looking for advice on how to get, this, how to get their company started? 
Yeah, and specifically, I would say aspiring female founders, right? I mean, because mm-hmm. I think sometimes that can be more of a, ch- I mean, more of a challenge depending on how you look at it. So, just curious, like, yeah. how have you approached that? How how have you dealt with it? Like, did you go to other female CEOs or women women founders? No, but I wish I did. I realize now, you know, after a few years into Planable, that I do not have that many. I I don't have investors, female mm. investors um, on board. I don't have advisors or too many mentors. So I didn't make it a specific like project to go and find, you know, specific people, you know, as it came, you know, as as we went with Planable and, you know, whoever we stumbled upon that was willing to help and we had a good connection with. But otherwise I didn't like make it a project, but I wish I did because now I realize that, you know, I'm not surrounded by, you know, that many you know female professionals female experts in the in the field so i i wish that was something that i did but um you know <laughs> not too late anyway mm. in terms of other founders i do mentor quite a lot um, especially back home mm. uh unfortunately in most of the um, in most of the programs that i i've mentored uh, there weren't that that many you know aspiring female entrepreneurs um i see more and more of them uh, but it's still like a very low number. So it seems like it's rising up, um, but, but it's still, still incredibly, place. yes, it's still incredibly low. And, and even the people that I've kept in touch uh, over time and helped them out with advice um, did, didn't really happen to, uh, to be, you know, female founders or female mm-hmm. CEOs. So that's unfortunate, but I hope that's, that's, you know, something that's going to change and maybe, um, again, I like to think that by, you know, just being, you know, myself and building this business and growing it and making it successful, maybe that is one thing that could inspire others, you know, to see that it's, you know, it's possible. It certainly does. You know, honestly, I can, I can speak of even when I was in university, we were creating this like investment fund, right? And mm-hmm. uh, a big challenge we had was like, how do you, and it, it was a, a larger than just the fund itself being predominantly guys, right? It was like, you know, even if we had one or two girls in the, in the program, like, how do we, I mean, it, that's just today, right? Like three, four years from now, like, how do we, how do we inspire women to get more in the program? And I think a lot of that is reference, right? To your point, like, I think you just being an entrepreneur, a lot of women around you are going to look at you and say, listen, like, that's possible, even though I'm in, you know, Eastern Europe, and we don't necessarily have the most, uh, you know, uh, developed program or ecosystem, I can do it because XYZ did it, you know? I yeah, think maybe, and maybe, maybe it's not going to even be that direct as, Hey, I saw this entrepreneur and that means I can also be one. Maybe it's not even going to be, you know, that direct. Maybe it's just going to be, you know, it's going to sink in, in time from a, you know, a very early age, you're going to see female business owners around you. And, you know, that is just what's going to make an impact. You might not reference it in time when you're going to start your own business. You're not going to say I'm starting it because I saw someone else that, you know, managed to do it, but it's going to just shape a different way of thinking. uh, One that you're not going to feel, you know, limited um, or you're not going to, as, as, you know, as it happened to me, you're not going to be unable of labeling yourself as an entrepreneur because you didn't see, you know, other people that look like you building businesses right uh, so like the environment gonna, yeah the environment maybe is gonna you know make an impact in an indirect way gotcha well listen i got one last question for you i know we're close to time but yeah. um <laughs> curious uh, 
one I guess is, is, is maybe more light, but like curious what you're reading. I know you're into poetry, you're into, um, you know, you gave one author's name. Uh, so curious on that first. What, what are uh, you? So I am not reading poetry anymore okay. and not that much into reading lately, unfortunately. Um, and <laughs> I've been, you know, asked about reading, uh, you know, business books. That's yeah. again, something I don't do that much, uh, as you know, as I've heard other, uh, other founders or CEOs do. I, I feel like if I read business books and I do have a short bandwidth of, you know, time to, to read books. So I choose to read, I, you know, um, other types of, you know, uh, articles, most, yeah, articles or if books, you know, more, um, um, you know, sci-fi books or fiction, yeah. yeah, fiction, generally fiction. Um, so, you know, more in that side of the, um, of the, of the, you know, book world. Gotcha. Is, is there one that you recommend? Like one of your favorites? <laughs> one of my favorites recently um, was American Dirt. And I really loved that one. Uh, it's about, um, you know, um, um, South America immigrants uh, trying to get into, um, uh, into the U.S. And the book is amazing about the you know, hardships they have to go traveling across Mexico and um, how extremely tough it is. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a hard book. <laughs> it's not light reading at all, uh, but I, I, I loved it quite a lot. I've, I've never thought about the topics she brought up and how excruciatingly hard it is. And I think uh, it makes you see things in a very, very different way. Well, I'm definitely going to give that one a read. Um, and then just last question, like what, what advice would you leave people with? I know you, you hit up a, a lot on, on, you know, the persistence. We talked about a couple of these gems, but just curious if there's one thing that you always preach or, or you hold close to, to your heart or whatever, like what, what would that be? Hmm. Let me think a bit. I think I, I talk quite a lot about, um, just starting small and launching as soon as possible things. Mm -hmm. um, I think that is extremely important, even though I, I, it, it's been, you know, hard for me to let go of the attention to detail. And sometimes, you know, this uh, perfectionism uh, things that I, I have from time to time. But I think when you build a business, it's extremely important to put yourself out there as soon as possible um maybe not you know maybe you're not ready to monetize the product or to launch it but like talking about it and uh you know telling as many people as possible your idea one is going to help you uh commit to that idea <laughs> you can't you know really go back as easily as you know if you told a lot of people about it and yeah. second you know you can get like really good insights and really good feedback so you know launch and and put yourself out there as early as you can with the things that, that you're building and you know no one's gonna judge you if it fails uh, most probably many people are not gonna you know even notice that you didn't <laughs> launch it you know when you realize that the entire world is not following you and you know, <laughs> sometimes most of the people don't care that's when it kind of becomes very um, liberating to mm. build something and to put yourself out there. If you found this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. And I'll see you next time.